The Best of Times, live from 710 Keel Studios in Shreveport, Louisiana, celebrating age and maturity, helping you make the best years of your life the best they can be. The Best of Times, your host, Gary Kaligas. Good morning, radio listeners. I'm Gary Kaligas, the publisher of The Best of Times, the only magazine and radio show for mature adults in Northwest Louisiana. I do thank you for tuning into our show today and also thanking those who might be listening via the Internet at www.710keel.com. Also thanking those who might be listening via the Keel applications on their Apple or Android devices. We do thank AARP Louisiana neighbors, Tunning Country of Shreveport, your Dodge, Chrysler Ram, and Jeep dealer for being the exclusive sponsors of this radio show to provide you with beneficial information each and every Saturday morning. In just a few minutes, we're going to learn about a very interesting true story regarding Ron Strauss, who is one of Elvis Presley's pilots. So stay tuned to this radio show for some very interesting information. It is Saturday, May the 27th, and we are broadcasting our radio show from the studios of News Radio 710 Keel, a town square media station here in Shreveport, Louisiana. However, today's show has been pre-recorded, so we will be unable to accept call-in questions and comments from our loyal radio listeners. Be sure to pick up the June issue of the Best of Times at one of our 270 distribution locations. It will be uh, available at all of our locations beginning on June 1st. We do thank you for the many compliments about our magazine. We do appreciate hearing from you. Remember, if you're unable to find a copy, you can always go to our website at thebestoftimesnews.com to view both current and past issues of our magazine. You can listen to previously broadcast radio shows here on the Best of Times Radio Hour. In addition, you can view and download the 2023 Silver Pages Senior Resource Directory. In addition, we have information about upcoming events and activities in the area. We hope that everybody enjoyed the Senior Health Expo that took place last Saturday. And uh, it was a fabulous attendance. We gave away a lot of door prizes, a lot of information from our over 35 exhibitors. And you learned a lot about uh, senior primary care services uh, by Centerwell. So again, we we thank those who came. If you did not have a chance, uh, our next upcoming uh, seminar, excuse me, expo will take place on October the 26th. That's the fabulous Senior Day Expo at the Louisiana State Fair. Our friends at Orleans Restaurant, again, offers the best of time special dinner each and every Thursday from 4.30 p.m. to closing with fabulous meals at the highly discounted price of only $25. It is very highly recommended due to the popularity of this Thursday night special to make reservations in advance by calling 318-226-1325. Again, that's 318-226-1325. We'll be right back with more information, but now we're from our sponsors and advertisers who make this radio show possible. You're listening to the Best of Times Radio Hour here on News Radio 710 Keel, proudly presented by AARP Louisiana and ABS 10 and Country S Report, your Dodge Chrysler Ram and Jeep dealer. Gary Kaligas will be right back with more Best of Times Radio Hour after this on 1017 FM and 710 Keel. Gary's back with more Best of Times Radio Hour on 1017 FM and 710 Keel. Welcome back to our show, the Best of Times Radio Hour, proudly presented by AARP Louisiana and Abers Town and Country of Shreveport, your Dodge Chrysler Ram and Jeep dealer. 
Joining me on my show today as a very special guest is Miss Sally Hodell, who is an author and historian, and I've asked her to come on our show today to discuss her new book, Destined to Fly, the True Story of Pilot Ron Strauss, From Iowa to Elvis. Thank you, Sally, for joining our show today. Thanks for having me back. I appreciate it. Well, let's say back, you were, Miss Sally was on my show, oh, several months ago. Was it a year ago? Time flies when you're having fun, especially at 73. <laughs> it's been a while. But we discussed her previous book, Elvis Destined to Die, a remarkable book about Elvis Presley and his family, and tremendous research done by Sally and, and um, others that are possibly were involved in that. But uh, it's it was a very, I, I have had thousands of people, Sally, that have told me they picked it up and read it. Um, via, via online, whatever it's called, all that kind of yeah. stuff. Um, but I know a lot of people. Uh, I love it when I when people pick up hardback, paperback books. I mean, it makes me impressed. Absolutely. I mean, my wife is still uh, likes the iPad and the Kindle and all that kind of stuff. But I'm, Gary still likes to have the book book. I have some in there, but I still like the touchy feel it and and just like our magazine. I mean, yes, we print twenty five thousand copies of our magazine and we people pick them up but um, it's ex- it's increasing i mean monthly people reading it online so it's like i'm like overwhelmed that people are taking the time to read it by app and online but you know you never know uh but i'm we're gonna still print that sucker hate to call it sucker, but <laughs> i think print's important print's not gonna go away people people say oh, i i read it already online then i pick up a printed copy i said well that's good you're doing both things you, you know what's in Absolutely. it then, then you can put it on your coffee table you, can, you can't put your kindle on your coffee table no right and, and i i'm with you i like to hold a book in my hands too and i'm a note taker you know when i'm when i read anything i'm underlining and making notes and you can't do that on your tablet either yeah that's right well, I'm sure there's a way our techie people out there. My son, I'm sure. My yes, son I'm has sure. told me that about some things I can highlight by my mm. reading. Uh, they're, they're always something, and you, uh, whatever, I think when I got this new iPad, it has a pencil, and you can highlight things. It, you know, it's also complex. Also, okay, let's get back to it. So, why did you write this book about Ron Strauss? Is it Strauss or Strauss? Strauss. It's Strauss. Yeah. Uh, well, Ron Strauss just quickly became a very good friend of mine, and he is the first person I met who knew Elvis Presley when I first wow. started researching Destin to Die Young. And I have to tell you that the first book, it really started out as a brain candy project for myself, really, because my kids are getting older. You know, I, I am a journalist. I'm a writer. I have that degree and that background. Um but my kids were getting older, and I had more free time, and I'm a lifelong Elvis fan. So the beginning of that project was really just answering some questions for me, and then when you know everything started to fall in place, it obviously became a full-fledged project and um, became a, a, a book with a lot of research and a lot of research trips behind it. But Ron Strauss is really the person who took that book to the next level because I live in northern Michigan. Ron Strauss lives, lives in Florida, but he used to vacation in northern Michigan. And someone knew I was working on this, you know, this book project, and I had this idea, and they connected us. And I have to tell you that the odds of meeting someone who knew Elvis in northern Michigan are slim to none. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we are forest and lakes and trees. You know, that's it. <laughs> so uh, the fact that that happened is just remarkable to begin with. Uh, but I asked if he would sit down with me, and I I went to where he was staying, and, and we spent the whole day together. And... Obviously, my first book was more focused on Elvis's health, and Elvis's pilot had very little to contribute to that in terms of research and what I was looking for. Uh, but he was so generous with his time, and like I said, we really hit it off. We had a lot in common, and he gave me, 
you know, a different picture of Elvis, too, because he saw Elvis as a boss, as his pilot, and there was a different kind of relationship there. Um, but what he really did was give me the confidence and, and the inspiration to reach out to everyone else who knew Elvis. And without having met Ron, I'm not sure I would have done that. Wow. Um, so again, it, it, it led was to destiny. To, it was destiny. Yeah, it was destiny you there. You, but you For never sure. know. It was like that aha moment, right? Yeah, yeah, and it was just because uh, you know how it is. I mean, even as a journalist, you kind of feel like the people who knew Elvis are a little unreachable, or they won't talk to you because Elvis was so unreachable. Uh, but Ron was so kind that I reached out to everyone else, and almost everyone else I reached out to was willing to meet with me. So it really just kind of snowballed from there. But um, yeah, we hit it off, and he very quickly also became the anchor of integrity for me in the Elvis world because I also didn't know that you know as I went out and to Tupelo and Memphis and met all these people, you know that there is a lot of exaggeration and there is a lot of falsehoods and that people will lie to you <laughs> and <laughs> they uh, lie they to their... journalists. Okay. And li- yeah, lie to well, a... Whoa. Okay. And yes. it's, it's not, it's not always intentional either because so much of this happened so long ago, right? That the story has grown over time, you know, that it's not always a minute, you know, a, a vindictive manipulation. It's more of a, uh, maybe they don't remember as well, or maybe the story grew over time. So, um, but it was it was surprising to me, and there is a lot of that in the Elvis world. You know, you have to sift through a lot of falsehood to find what what makes sense and what is true. But with Ron, go ahead. No, I was going to say people do that. I mean, I hate to say that at all ages they exaggerate. Sure. They, they remember something differently than somebody. I mean, my mother yeah. my mother had six siblings, and when they would tell stories, they'd all differ in some of their six different versions, right? <laughs> and it, 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 about the same contact event, but they had all different perspectives and outcomes. It was like. Okay, now who's right? Then they all of us say, we're all we're all right. There were six of them. I would occasionally yep. go to family reunions. That would be hilarious. Okay, let's get back. But you're right. They're right. Their perspective was all correct because it's all their perspective, right? And everybody sees it differently, which yes. is a human situation. Um, but with Elvis, there are people who want to grow that story because the attachment to Elvis is a is something that people also really like to to have, right? But with Ron, you know, I heard him tell his story so many times now. Um, but I also knew on that first day that I met him that he was just a straight shooter. You know, he tells it like it is. And every time I hear him tell his story, they're exactly the same. They don't grow over time. So he really did become my, my anchor of integrity in the Elvis world, too. And now every time I'm down there to sign books, you know, whether it's Elvis's birthday or Elvis week, uh, Ron also, you know, usually meets up with me there. And it's it's just a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun to watch him talk to the fans, too, and tell his wow, story. Wow, wow. So how old is he now? He's 83. 83. Wow, he's 10 years older yeah. than me. Okay. So you wrote the first book, and I can't remember when when that was finished, and then what 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 made the decision to write this book about, about him, Dustin? Sure, and again, you know, the, the better I got to know him, the more you realize that the two years he flew Elvis was just a small part of his incredible life story. And I have to tell you, time and again, that is so true about most of the people around Elvis. Yeah, I'm good friends with his nurse, and... Um, come to find out that his nurse actually did the physical for James Earl Ray when he was arrested in Memphis. Wow. After, you know, assassinating MLK. So everybody always has, like, more to their story, but when yes. you just talk to them about Elvis, you don't always find out the rest. So uh, some really remarkable life stories around with the people who surrounded Elvis, and Ron, absolutely no exception. So um, he did fly Elvis from 75 to 77. He has an incredible, you know, childhood of just, 
uh, a slice of Americana growing up in Iowa and learning all those lessons and taking the risk to leave his small town and make something of himself, um, which he does, and we can get into all those details. Yeah. Uh, but he's in the Air Force for 12 years, flies 3,400 hours as a flight engineer during Vietnam. He's hijacked in Nicaragua at one point, and it just became very clear that like this is a Again, a slice of Americana. There's some John Wayne in this story. There's some Ronald Reagan, and then there's Elvis too. And um, I just felt like it was a, not only a story worth telling, but so many life lessons that all of us could and learn something from. That's what I want to come to tell my listeners. I've read it and read it twice. It's it's a fascinating read. And Sally, you do a great job in putting the narrative in and in make it interesting. It's it's uh, historical, factual, but it also, you make it so you want to keep reading it. It's not, uh-huh. it, I, I'm not saying it's not boring at all. I mean, but it, it is a great American story about a dream come true with a little, with a lot of luck, a lot of talents and skills and being at the right place at the right time. And, and uh, there were, I mean, throughout his, his life story here that you've told, it was, it's, amazing how some of the things just worked to the right and and i think he talks about making that wide choice and the wise in the fork of the road taking you know right right or left and all of us in our life have that but he he uh and you describe those choices uh quite well so again let's let's start off um he began in iowa on a farm in the 40s right worked for mm-hmm. his father at a ford car dealership right Absolutely. Yes, I uh, loved cars from the beginning, you know. Just So he got his experience in, in car mechanics and motor mechanics and all that there, I'm sure, right? Absolutely. Very hands-on, very young. Um, same thing with his uh, exposure to flying. It actually happened in Fonda, Iowa, too. Very, very, very small town. And uh, his dad knew someone at the, I think it was Sac City, which was a, it's a little bit outside of Fonda, that his, his dad knew um, the person who ran that little airport, and he took... Ron and his brothers out there one Sunday after church, and the one of the guys was nice enough to take the young boys on their first little flight, right, in this tiny mm-hmm. little plane. And that's where Ron discovered his love of flying. So, wow. um, you know, it all, every, it's amazing how all of those roots of everything that he believed in, and then also the career that he ended up having, it really all comes from that, that small town experience there in Fonda. But Sally, I thought a few of the comments you made in the initial runs, it said that in his early years, he he knew about, he learned about Elvis, and he saw that the girls really loved Elvis. The guys, most of the guys, eh, not really interested, and neither was he, right? Initially. That's very true. Very true. So, you know, when when I said, you know, what did you think of Elvis in the 50s? And he's like, well, you know, I was taking out all these nice young ladies, and all they wanted to do was talk about Elvis. (laughs) (laughs) And I got kind of annoyed with that. And, you know, funny is that years later, Elvis actually said to him, you know, Rod, we're kind of close in age. Uh, What did you think of me when I was first coming up? And Ron said, well, to be honest, I hated you, Elvis. And Elvis was like, what? You know, (laughs) because Elvis loved when people were honest with him, but few people were honest with him. So he loved that um, exchange with Ron because Ron is, like I said, a straight shooter, tells it how it is. And, uh, you know, Ron explained, I was taking out all these young ladies. All they wanted to do was talk about you. I got tired of that. And then Elvis says, well, I could understand that. I understand that. What do you think of me now, Ron? And Ron's like, well, now I think you're great, of course. (laughs) (laughs) That. But I, I read a little bit about that before. You know, again, most of the initial concert, most of, most of them were ladies there. But eventually, guys, I mean, I I went to three, 
And mm-hmm. uh, uh, lucky for, uh, so you know, I was fortunate before he before he passed that uh, I got to in Shreveport, and I think one other location awesome. I was that was there. So we wow. we talked about how he got interested in flying, and but I thought this was he didn't get a what he didn't have a high school diploma or a college degree, right? Right, and and. You know, in today's world, it's impossible to become a pilot without a, pretty much impossible, without a college degree. Certainly very difficult back then without a high school diploma and without some college. And, yeah, he goes, um, you know, the Catholic Church was a really important part of the community where he grew up in that small town. He went to Catholic school, and I believe it was 10th grade um, that he... The, the priest and the nun, you know, the principal calls them, calls them into the office, and they say, Ron, we don't think you're cut out for school. Oh. And they pretty much dismissed him that day, which is, can you imagine that happening today? And uh, so Ron took that walk home, <laughs> you know, to tell his parents, and he thought, and now he says, of course, he's like, well, you know, they were right. I liked girls in football, and that was about it. <laughs> so, but he, you know, he always loved math, and he loved history, but he didn't like reading, and he's like, you know, you got you got to do well in all the subjects. So, yeah, he's kicked out of Catholic school. Uh, he goes home. His parents obviously are not happy, but they do eventually agree to sign for uh, to agree to sign for him to join the Air Force underage, and and he does that at age seventeen. At seventeen, wow. Yeah. But most of his family so, were in the military. I think you mentioned that throughout. Yes. Throughout the he day. had uncles who fought in the Battle of the Bulge, you know, World War II. Um, all of his brothers had been in the military, so it was a natural progression for him to also choose that route. Um, but he also knew that he loved airplanes from that first flight he took as a little kid. And he also knew at that point that he could never be a pilot because of his education. He knew he loved to, the mechanical side of things because, as you said, he was working at that Ford dealership all the time. And uh, he thought, well, I'll join the Air Force and I'll be a mechanic and I will work on airplanes. So at least I can be near them. Um, there's so many interesting stories that could have changed his entire life, but I think you should tell one, one uh, in, in so much detail. Uh, not a, you know, we want we want people to read the book, but mm-hmm. I thought it when he joined the Air Force, he was almost dismissed on charges of not telling the truth. Tell the listeners about that one. Oh, are you talking about the one with his weight? Well, two things. The 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 water fight. Oh yeah, okay. The, the water, water fight. fight, that's right. Yes. That was when he first joined up. Yeah. He almost wasn't allowed to be in the Air Force, um, because all of a sudden he has a record of some kind, which he had no idea, you know, what they were talking about. Like I don't have any kind of record. Uh but apparently again, years before that he had been running around the neighborhood having a water fight with these kids and one of the kids ran into someone's house and that person you know, was very upset, called the police. All these kids got in trouble who were running around the neighborhood having this water fight. And they had to go before a judge. And uh, I think it was the priest from school showed up and, you know, and spoke on their behalf. And the kids were let go. And they were assured that there would be nothing on their record. Well, <laughs> Ron nope. joins the Air Force and wow. that was on his record. So he had to do some fast talking, if he likes to say, <laughs> and, and explained that situation. And, that, you know, that's a tough one. You know, back in the military then, I'm sure it was extremely strict. And if not sure. telling the truth, it's, oh, man. Uh, I can, yeah, but I if your worst crime it. was a, you know, your worst crime being held against you at the water fight as a kid, that's. Yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> that, that is. But, but tell them the other life-changing moment, the need to gain weight. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So apparently he was on Weight Watch when he first was in the Air Force, and he didn't realize that, you know, that he was going to be too thin. To, to make the cut, so to speak. And uh, he, 
you know, he was moving on to the, the next level, whatever that was, and I can't remember the details at the moment, but uh, on his papers, it said, make sure, you know, stop by the, the office and, and talk to so-and-so. So so he did. He goes over there, and the nurse is there, and they're talking about his records, and they're like, you know, don't you know you were on Weight Watch? You didn't gain any weight. So, you know, this is a real problem. And uh, she says, you know, you're out of here. and all he could think was i have to go back to fonda iowa you know and like this was my this was my plan the air force was my plan and uh they had some words back and forth you know because he didn't know he was on weight watch or he would have tried to gain weight um and luckily uh you know a a higher officer had walked in heard the exchange and said i'll take care of that you're fine but again if that person doesn't walk in and hear that exchange in that moment he really is out of the air force and back to fonda another one of those Moments. Lucky moments. Lucky mom mm-hmm. is telling you there's a lot of luck that, that Ron had, which was, I mean, it's a great story. And you read that, I said, wow. And I was just thinking the same thing when you were mentioning and reading it. What happens if that person, that major, did intervene? I mean, how yeah. sad. Would have changed his life. The why would have been a big why difference. The entire trajectory of his life changes. And that's we all right. understand that's how life works. But mm-hmm. when you're in the midst of it, you might not understand it or see it so clearly. So it's really a gift to be able to look back at Ron's life like this. Yes. Because I think we all have those moments, and maybe it helps us identify them a little bit more, too. Well, hold that thought. We'll be right back with more information. But now I work more sponsors and advertisers who do make this radio show possible. You're listening to the Best of Times Radio Hour here on News Radio 710 Keel, proudly presented by AERP Louisiana and A-Bears Town and Country of Shreveport, your Dodge Chrysler Ram and Jeep dealer. Gary Kaligas will be right back with more Best of Times Radio Hour after this on 101.7 FM and 710 Keel. Gary's back with more Best of Times Radio Hour on 1017 FM and 710 Kiel. Welcome back to our show, the Best of Times Radio Hour, proudly presented by AERP Louisiana and A-Bears Tending Country of Shreveport, your Dodge Chrysler Ram and Jeep dealer. Joining me on my show today is a special guest, is Miss Hallie Hodell, who is an author, historian. I've asked her to come on my show today to discuss her new book, Destined to Fly, the true story of pilot Ron Strauss. So thank you, Sally, for taking time to be on our show today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. So uh, I forgot to ask. I should have asked at the beginning. So you've interviewed him. What did he think of the book after after he read it? Did you let him well, see experts or it was like when it's like oh, movie production, you get to see the movie and hopefully the person that we're talking about here writing about and uh, likes it or doesn't like it? No, he got to see it very early on before it even went to editing. It was so important to me that he was happy oh, with good. it. Cause it's his story, you know. Um, but, yeah, the day that I, you know, I'd, I mailed a print to him in the mail, and then he had told me, texted me in the morning and said, I'm going to finish this up today and I'll call you this afternoon. And that was the longest day, you know, waiting oh. to hear what he had to say. Because it's one thing to write about Elvis, who has been gone for a long time. And, yeah. and I had, you know, it was really important to me, too, that I treated that in a very fair, ethical way. And at first, when I started that project, I thought, is it fair for me to write about something, I, someone I never met before? And, of course, biographers have been doing that from the mm-hmm. beginning of time. But that that was an ethical decision for me to make. So writing about Ron, who is very much alive and who is going to read his life story and see how I interpreted it, um, you know, that was a, a, a scary day, but he, he liked it. And then one of my favorite moments, though, uh, last August during Elvis week, we had a book release party. And then we spent the week signing books. And, you know, it was, it was great fun. And it was awesome to see Ron celebrated in that way. And as we packed up on that last day, he said, Sally, I want to tell you something. And, you know, I, you never know what's coming. Out. <laughs> so I was like, oh, and he's like, I just want you to know that a lot of people pressured me to write a book. 
And I'm so glad I waited because no oh. one could have told the story the way you did. Oh, and, what a compliment. And after that, like, I don't care who reads it. I don't care who doesn't read it. I don't care how successful it is. That's all that matters to me. Yes, yes. So. Yeah, you, and you're, you know, I, I want you to bring that up to, to our listeners out there. Sometimes when journalists decide to write about a a person or an event or thing, you know, sometimes they don't get the perspective. Sometimes they just write it, and I've I've heard of many did not know they're writing it about them. Right? You don't have to get the permission yeah. from that person. I mean, it's like uh, no, you you don't. You and don't. It's sad. And it's, I don't think it's ethical, but. A lot of them do that. And, uh, they they do. And, uh, you know, there's been a lot of unfair things written about Elvis, as we've talked about before. Uh, but with with the Ron book, you know, when I suggested this idea, because I thought his story was really worth telling, and, again, people could learn from it, he's like, sure, we can try. He's like, but I don't know if there's enough there for a book. So I said, well, you know, I went down to Florida. I rented a house. I took my family. And then every morning I went over to Ron's house, and we'd spend the morning talking. Oh. And we went through his life chronologically, and then we went through Elvis's life, the two years he spent with him, and did that in more detail. Uh, but... I didn't know when we sat down if there would be enough for a book, and I didn't know how I would tell it. But the really lovely part that came out of that was that Iowa became a character, and I didn't know <laughs> that would happen. But Iowa is such a part of who Elvis oh, yes. or who Ron was yes. and is that it became almost a character in the book. And, and I didn't know that would happen, but I loved that it happened. Okay. I've got a I, – I, I gleamed – you know, you were telling me you take notes. and So I've read this book, and I checked off some things that I don't know if there were – critical or you decided but here's one that i think our listeners when you read this i, I want to do a little more research i didn't know this that ron was stationed in various stations when he was in the air force all over all over the world in different locations but in one statement you say that some of the stations where he was uh, assigned to required a military person to be of certain religion yes wow I did not. Yeah. I was not aware that they had to comply with the the country's religion requirements, and and be in particular it's Spain, right? Was it Spain? Yeah, it? that was that was back in 1960, thereabouts, very very yeah. early 60s, and uh, he was stationed in Florida, and he would be sent over to Spain for short stints, up to six months. And one of the reasons he was selected was because he was Catholic, wow. which is. Fascinating, right? I didn't know they don't allow Protestants there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure the rules have changed, but maybe, but maybe not. But that's but, how it was in, in 1960. And I, I was planning to ask some of my military um, friends here at Barksdale Air Force Base. Was that you know? I, I'm sure it was. You researched it. You did. That was interesting. So tell tell listeners. I mean, we, there's so many stories in here. That are cool. I thought meeting his future wife Betty Lou Copeland. I thought mm-hmm. that's a wow. With a lot of problems, but a lot, that was a lot of wow. I mean, thousands of yeah, stories. They, it, go ahead. They met at the USO, right? And uh, they hit it off, and they would meet there every week. So they kind of slowly liked each other, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but then it was a, a lot more work, again, as a Catholic, to convince her parents, who were not Catholic. Yes, that's what I was going <laughs> to tell you. Not only was problems. he not Catholic, but then he's a GI, too. So that was two strikes against him. But, um, again, they had a lot of things in common you know betty's dad was a well-read guy so they would sit and kind of chew the fat and and uh ron's a guy who can talk about a lot of different topics so uh they they ended up hitting it off and liking him but yeah it was a it was a tough go at first yeah that but you you write that 
the different passages throughout I thought was quite interesting and 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 I've dealt with people that have had those kind of relationships of, of both Protestant and Catholicism or I'm Greek Orthodox Orthodox sure. and non-Orthodox so it it's you know it's sometimes quite challenging and uh with the, both with the family dynamics etc so everybody you'll you'll find that section of the book quite fascinating uh, of course they ended up marrying and uh, had a wonderful life so the other thing I thought was he had so many different interesting assignments, and everywhere he went, he learned about various planes and techniques and mechanics, et cetera, right? Yeah, always learning, and he had to, and he knew that. And Ron talks a lot about how you know, he didn't have the education right, to, to be deemed successful, though so he had to work harder than everyone else, and he had to prove himself harder you know, more than everybody else. But then he did um, get promoted quickly because he was so committed and he was such a hard worker. Uh, so he does start out as a mechanic. He eventually becomes a flight engineer in the Air Force. And that's and, a serious uh, position, a flight engineer. It is. It's a very, very prominent, it important is. position. Absolutely, and he flies as a flight engineer for for all through Vietnam, and then when he, he has 12 years into in the Air Force, and he decides, you know, along with Betty, to take that risk because he is watching the pilots make mistakes, and he, that kind of grows his confidence, and he realizes, oh, I might not have a high school diploma, and by then he probably had his GED because he did acquire that, um, but he knew that he could do just as good of a job. It grew his confidence, right? Yes. Um, and, of course, he knew how the plane worked as a mechanic. He knew how to make it, you know, function properly as a flight engineer and, and handle that board that he was in, in charge of. Um, and then he knew that he could be a pilot, but he also knew he could not do that in the Air Force. And it is a huge risk, a huge life risk to leave the Air Force after 12 years because you don't get anything, any kind of retirement, you know, until 20. So everybody around him talked about, like, wow, that's a big risk, Ron, but if anybody could do it, Ron could do it. <laughs> Yeah, so, I, I thought that was fascinating. They decided at 12 years, too. I mean, he had a few more years to get uh, some retirement, a full retirement. On all the, but that was a major life uh, decision. That's, that There's those whys again. He made the yes or no, and he, he chose to, to resign and, and to fly commercially, right? Right, and he could have waited. You know, he could have waited eight years, but then he would have missed the opportunity to fly Elvis, too. That's true. Um, <laughs> you know, so he does leave. He ends up. You know, working with a airline or airline called Modern Air, and they, it was ran by an old Air Force guy, someone who had worked actually on Air Force One, and he liked to hire military people, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah. uh, Ron had that experience, and he got in as a flight engineer, um, and then he took all his training and licenses to get his pilot license. You know, he did that also, um, but again, a lot of a lot of stop and goes in that process, right? But, and he gets laid off, and he has to switch airlines, and he has to go. You know, just it's a it's not a simple thing, and it's all laid out in the book there with the mm -hmm. kind of the ups and downs of making that happen. But eventually, he does become co-pilot uh, for a airline out of Nicaragua. Yeah, so I remember that. But him, him joining this new modern air, he learns more about the Convair 880 and 890, which, yes. which the Convair 880 is the Lisa Marie. So that that that, that prior experience is like, wow. So, tell so again, her, a lucky moment, right? Yes, a lucky a, moment another one to those be wow moment, lucky moment. paired with not only an airplane that is hard to fly, because the Convair 880 was. And, and the guys who flew the 880 and the 990, they, they continued to, their careers continued to reconnect because people really respected those pilots, and it was a, a skill set that only a few had. But again, the luck that that is the airplane that Elvis eventually buys. Mm -hmm. So he, if Ron doesn't have that experience, he doesn't become Elvis's pilot either. Yeah, you go, he, she, 
everybody she discusses about the 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 uh, the rationale of Elvis and his entourage why they wanted this particular type of airplane but we'll, we'll talk I thought another fascinating it goes on pretty long about we you you gave a teaser about the the hijacking airplane story with Ron I thought, thought that was remarkable you want to you it, want to give it, a snippet about that to our listeners I'll give a little snippet because it is fun to read about and I will say that again just the Elvis connection, you know, Elvis loved law enforcement. He loved those kind of stories. Uh-huh. So uh, when he found out that Ron had been hijacked, he was like, Ron, I can't wait till I can, we can sit down and I got to hear that story, you know, and it was fun for Ron to share did, it with did, Elvis too. Did, did Ron share that with you or you knew about it? I, he had shared it with me. I had no idea that uh, Ron had been the co-pilot on that flight which, you know, it's all over. the news. You can look up the old newspapers, and it was a worldwide event. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty a remarkable, you know, piece of history there that Ron was a part of. Uh, anyways, there was a Christmas party. It, so Ron was flying for Monica Airlines, and he was flying business people mostly from Miami to Nicaragua and back. And he had flown over there, so he was already there. Um, and he had flown, there was going to be a Christmas party at General Somoza's house. He was the dictator president of Nicaragua at that time. And Ron had flown some of the people over that were going to go to that party. Um, so the party is, you know, attacked by these guerrillas and people are held hostage and it's a group of nationalists who want political prisoners released and a certain amount of demands met. So General Somoza agrees to those demands and one of those demands is that all these political prisoners are flown um, from Nicaragua to Cuba and they need someone to fly the plane, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. Ron, Ron got a call from Betty because she saw on the news that this was happening and said, don't oh. you dare fly that airplane. <laughs> oh. And then Ron is asked to fly the airplane, and he says yes. <laughs> so um, another, again, really, another risk and another gamble. Wow. Absolutely. And a really scary situation. You know, it's, it's fascinating to hear Ron talk about it. It's fascinating to read about, but he does fly from Nicaragua to Cuba with a gun at his head the entire time. And once they land in Cuba, he's not sure they're going to let him leave. Hmm. And there's a lot of back and forth about that. And the pilots are talking about, well, we could, you know, just take off and see what happens because, you know, such and such isn't too far away. And then we're in U.S. airspace. And uh, But there's a guy with a machine gun hiding in the bushes that they could shoot him down at any time, you know. So they decide to wait, and they're finally given the clearance to leave after meeting General Samosa. Um, so it, it really is a remarkable story. And uh hmm. That could be a whole story in itself. It, might be, you know, it really could be. And here's a, a cool piece of information, too. You know, there there's there are decades between me and Ron, and I, I, but we're very good friends, and I love that because, again, there's so much I can learn from him. Uh, but there was a moment where he learned something from me, which was a really cool experience. As I was researching this, I came to find out that the current president of Nicaragua was one of the political prisoners that was on the airplane and released that day. Wow, what a rest and, of the story is that <laughs> and, and Ron had no idea. Ron did not know that. So I called him that day, and he was like, wow, Sally, that's incredible. You know? That is incredible. <laughs> what a, yeah. Hey, and you heard it first here on the Best of Times Radio Hour on this there interview. You. <laughs> I don't know if you've told other people that. We'll hold yeah. that thought. We'll be right back with more information. But now we're with my sponsors and advertisers who make this radio show possible. You're listening to the Best of Times Radio Hour here on News Radio 710 Keel, proudly presented by AARP Louisiana Neighbors, Tonight Country of Shreveport. Your Dodge, Chrysler, Ram, and Jeep dealer. Gary Kaligas will be right back with more Best of Times Radio Hour after this on 1017 FM and 710 Keel.
Gary's back with more Best of Times Radio Hour on 1017 FM and 710 Kiel. Welcome back to our show, the Best of Times Radio Hour, proudly presented by AERP Louisiana Neighbors, sending country of Shreveport, your Dodge, Chrysler, Ram, and Jeep dealer. Joining me on my show today is a special guest, is Miss Sally Hodell, who's an author, historian, and I've asked her to come on our show today to discuss her new and fascinating book, Destined to Fly, the True Story of Pilot Ron Strauss, from Iowa to Elvis. So thank you, Sally, for joining us today. Uh, in this closing segment, let's let's start on how how did uh, Ron get to be one of Elvis Presley's pilots? Well, he was in between airline jobs, and uh, uh, he was at the airport one day, you know, working on an airplane. And uh, the broker, who actually was selling Elvis a plane, Ron had known him, and the broker, you know saw Ron was out there at the airport that day, walked up to him and said, you know, how would you like to fly for Elvis Presley? You know, Elvis Presley's buying an airplane. And he's like, yeah, sure, everyone wants to fly. You know, <laughs> Elvis is buying an airplane. Elvis, he kind of blew it off. Yeah. Um, he was like, yeah, I'll be interested, you know. So uh, it, it turned out that Elvis bought the 880. It was an old Delta airliner, and he had it all refurbished to be, you know, the king of rock and roll's private airplane. Uh, it was refurbished by the same people who did Air Force One down in Texas. And... Um, and when Nigel, the broker, came back to Ron and said, "Okay, he bought an 880. Are you are you up for it? Can you get a crew together?" And Ron's like, "Yeah, you know, everybody I flew with flew the 880, right?" So he called up people from Modern Air that he had flown with, and uh, Elwood David was recommended as the pilot, Ron Strauss as the co-pilot, and then good friend Jim Manny as the flight engineer. And they all went to Graceland to interview with Vernon, okay. Elvis's father. So how did that go? Uh, fastest interview of Ron's career. Uh, he was told to go in there with how much he wanted to get paid and know that number. So he goes in, he meets Vernon Presley, who everybody called Mr. Presley. And, uh, Vernon says, you have to get one thing straight. Now you do the flying and we do the entertaining. Can you handle that? And Ron said, yes, sir. Yes, sir. No problem. And then Vernon said, how much do you want to get paid? And Ron told him. And he said, thank you very much. That'll be it. And wow. <laughs> Ron no negotiating. No That's ne- either the best interview or the worst interview of my life, and I don't know which. <laughs> and and uh, everybody was given the amounts they asked for, and contracts were drawn up the next day. And everybody, she includes some of these uh, flight logs as well as uh, the contract with Elvis, which, I mean, it's, it's really interesting when you read these contracts back in the, in the years 1975, which I thought was fascinating reading and that's really nice of him to to share that with you that is that's it, pretty, it's pretty. incredible incredible that he allowed me to print the entire flight log of flying elvis from 75 to 77 as an appendix yes. in that book because it is truly a historical document and it tells us everywhere elvis went for those two years because if he left it was almost exclusively on the Lisa Marine. And that and there were a lot of different trips, a lots of Absolutely. A, lot, a lot of The other thing the stories that Sally tells about Rob which I'm sure he shared which I mean really touching. I, we everybody knows how much Elvis and his family helped others, but it shows in this book on how he helped Ron and his family uh, through a home mortgage, special gifts, cars, etc. and and without even being asked most of the time, right? It's always a surprise. Absolutely, always a surprise. And, uh, you know, Ron didn't quite realize the perks of being Elvis's pilot and it, and how differently he was treated by everyone, especially in Memphis when he wanted a house loan. Just 
go down to our bank here, you know, Vernon tells them, and no problem, <laughs> talk to the president. They pretty much write him a blank check that day. Uh, he goes and wants to buy a car with some of the tips, the tip money that Elvis would get tips at the end of every tour, and uh, goes and buys a yellow Corvette that he still has. And yes. they let him take it home for the weekend because he's Elvis' pilot <laughs> and drive it as much as you want. Um, you know, so it was constantly things like that. And um, as Ron always says, one of the reasons he gives talks about Elvis and he never charges and he'll, he'll go anywhere to tell people about Elvis was just so they know what a good boss he was and what a good guy he was and that he was just a really decent person to work for. And what I thought, one the best, one of the best stories, there are many of them, everyone, that you love, but Elvis had a flight to Hawaii with a bunch of his yes. cohorts, and and but he Elvis complained, where is your wife, Betty? Why is she not on the flight? And and, and I don't remember all the details, but, but he ended up getting Ron's wife, Elvis did a first class ticket to join them for four days together in Hawaii. How touching was that? It was, you know, and Ron said, no, Elvis, I'm not going to do that. You know, no, you don't have to do that. It's okay. She can come along next time. And Elvis said, Ron, do you like working for me? (laughs) (laughs) And Ron's like, well, yes, sir, I do. He's like, well, you get your wife a first class ticket to Hawaii. And if she's not there tomorrow, you don't have a job. (laughs) Wow. Yes. That was so, the yeah. the other great story was uh, Ron flying by uh, Elvis by Mount Rushmore. I thought that was touching. Yeah, what a remarkable story! And again, one of those amazing moments that has been lost to history. No one has talked about it before. Ron remembered having done that, you yeah. know, and and some of the things jogged his memory when we were going through his flight log and then going through the Elvis day by day book, so we could see where Elvis, what he was doing when he got where wherever Ron flew him. Uh, some of those things came back, you know, Ron had forgotten about or he hadn't talked about as much or, you know, in his talks. And that was one of the things I had not heard before, but what an amazing, can you imagine? Hmm. But, you know, yes. they, I was wanting to see it. The flight tower gave permission and they flew by Mount Rushmore. Uh, I thought the interesting, you added some interesting topics in there about Elvis wanted to take a tour of Europe and have Ron and his crew flying for those tours in Europe. But that was all delayed, canceled, not done, right? Yeah, it never happened, and there's all sorts of debate about why that is, and that is in the book. Uh, but Elvis, you know, and I think Elvis, was a, he always liked to be able to go back to Memphis anytime, right? And that would sure. have been hard traveling overseas. So I think part of it was his own doing. Uh, but he also talked about wanting to go overseas and mm-hmm. perform, and he did have conversations with the pilots. Number one, this airplane can make it. Yes, sir. And number two, you can fly over there. No problem. We flew all over Europe with Modern Air. So they knew that the uh, pilots and the airplane were capable. They were capable of going. So yep. so Elvis's last concert was June the 25th 1977 in Cincinnati, Ohio and uh if just uh, Actually it was it was the 26th in Indianapolis. 26th, okay. Oh, yep. I thought it was tw- last concert, maybe I don't know where I got that date, but I thought I'd be at that date. Uh but the other mention he talks about that Ron was on Graceland the day that Elvis died in on uh, is it August 16th if I recall? Yes, August 16th, 1977. Uh, Ron would go to Graceland often and go to Vernon's office uh, because he would he was the person in charge of uh, taking in the bills for the, the fuel, you know, for the mm-hmm. airplane and whatever. The, the pilots stayed in hotels while they were on tour and all that. Ron would turn in all the receipts and then get paid, and he would go to Vernon's office on the estate grounds to do that. And he had been there that day meeting with Vernon's secretary and handling all that because they were going on a tour, you know, the next day. And... Um, uh, he had he rode 
Elvis's golf carts around the property for a little bit because Elvis told him he could do that anytime he wanted to. And then he left and went home. And by the time he got home, um, his daughter was crying because Elvis had died. Oh. And she had heard it on TV. And Ron said, no, that's impossible. It has to be Vernon. You know, Vernon is getting older. He wasn't looking really great today, you know, et cetera. And no, it was Elvis. And Ron was as shocked as the rest mm. of the world. So tell us a little bit. Um, we got a few more minutes about what happened to Ron after uh, after him not being the pilot anymore. Elvis Presley. Sure. Well, when Elvis died, you know, it, he not only lost a friend and, and obviously someone he respected, but it was his boss and it was his livelihood and he had two young children to support still. Um, and that happened to a great number of people in Elvis's organization when he passed away. They had to find something else to do. Uh, so Ron quickly uh, was hired by Evergreen Airline out of Detroit, uh, which is another fascinating story because that airline at times was a cover for the CIA. So Ron <laughs> has a lot of stories that he's not allowed to share. <laughs> wow. Uh, but that is a well-known truth that that's, that was the case for that airline. Uh, he was with them, I believe, for eight years. And then uh, Betty also wanted to get back to Florida. So then Ron goes and works uh, with UPS and uh, retires with them, actually, as, as chief pilot. Wow. So he's got so many stories that he can't tell, but hopefully, you know, somebody in the near future after the uh, statute of limitations will be able to tell some of those great, <laughs> wonderful stories at all. So Very th- true. Uh, anything else you want closing? Again, I, I again, I will say that uh, everybody. Um, oh, but he stopped flying in 2012. So that's quite a few years of flying, right? In the book yeah, he, he 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 flew for a long time, and he was forced to retire. The age at was sixty at that time, I believe it's sixty five now. So he was forced to retire, but he still loved flying, and he knew that he was a better pilot at sixty than he had ever been. He could smell trouble. You know, when you talk to people who flew with Ron Strauss, they say there was no one better to have in the cockpit because not only could he fix the airplane because he had been a mechanic, he had been a flight engineer, and then he could fly the airplane. So he knew if something was going to go wrong, he knew what it was and he knew how to fix it immediately. Like people, they really admired him and they loved flying with him. So he didn't want to quit yet, but he had to. So he worked as a flight engineer for a few years uh, just to be around planes still before he officially retired. So uh, in closing, again, I, I compliment everybody. If you have a chance, pick up the book. It's available on Amazon, Destined to Fly, the Story of Pilot Ron Strauss, From Iowa to Elvis. I, I, like, I like the title. Who came up with that one, Sally? That's that's really good. From <laughs> Iowa you. to Elvis. And somebody yeah. will say, is Elvis also a state? You know. And, yeah. <laughs> well, again, thank you. Go ahead. Thank you. I was just going to say it's also available at my website, which is ElvisAuthor.com, and those oh. books are, are are signed. So either place is great. Okay, I didn't know about that. I'm glad yeah. you I'm glad you brought that up today. ElvisAuthor, A U T H O R dot com. Yep. So th- exactly. Sally, thank you again for joining us. Best luck to you again. Keep in touch. Let me know if you're going to be coming up with new books in the near future. I'd love to have you on my show again. It's great talking with you, and best of luck to you and your family. Absolutely. Thanks so much. Bye. For a good one. Everybody, please remember to listen to next Saturday's show for another information that can benefit you or your loved ones. Don't forget to pick up your personal copy of The Best of Times at one of our 270 distribution locations. May God bless you and your family. God bless America. Have a great day and a great weekend. Thank you again for listening to our show. I'm Gary Kaligas, wishing you and yours the best of times both today and every day. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Best of Times Radio Hour here on 1017 FM and 710 Keel. Be sure to tune in next Saturday at 9 a.m. for more Best of Times. This is 1017 FM and 710 Keel.